0: It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store. From your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. The morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez.
1: Dr. James Castillo is the Cameron County Health Authority. and We're focusing on your health with all all this heat, Doctor James, welcome back. With 110 degrees plus and feel like temperatures up to 120, and all the dehydrate the danger of dehydration. That's really really quick. What happens in the body when we are exposed to all this heat? Uh, we'll t- go step by step if you can, Doctor James.
2: Well, any heat index over 90 puts you at risk for this, and people over 65, people with diabetes, hypertension, taking medications uh, to try to say lose water if you have heart failure or uh, blood pressure medications can interfere with your body's ability to keep itself cool. Those auto-regulation systems. Uh, so first and foremost, know your risks. And if you're at high risk, you need to take extra caution, especially with these kind of temperatures coming up. Uh, but your body's just trying to stay cool. Uh, so it's gonna sweat, lose salt, lose water, let that evaporate off the skin, uh, try to lose that heat. But if you're, you know, in the middle of the sun, exercising, you know, wearing clothes that are not letting you lose that that heat off your body, you're at risk for overheating. OK,
1: light clothing, plenty of of refreshments. If you need to be outside and yes, you mentioned some of the health conditions, carrying a little baggie with some cold water, what, what cold water or Gatorade? Which one which one's best?
2: Uh, cold water is best, but if you're going to be sweating a lot, losing a lot of that salt out of your skin, uh, then those kind of, uh, sports drinks, obviously you got to watch out if you're diabetic, uh, certain, you know, restrictions. Again, it goes back to that risk factors because that's where, we're, that's what we're going to see most often in the hospitals. The, the people who are going to get put in the hospitals or older or even the very young, you know, kids under four, uh, the biggest risk. But for everybody else, you're healthy generally, um, you know, one cup of water every 20 minutes. You know, so that's, a, that's 32 ounces per hour of water that you're going to be outside. Uh, and if you're going to be exerting yourself, exercising, you're going to want to prehydrate, you know, drink up plenty of water before you're going to exercise, and then it's one cup every 20 minutes.
1: Dr. James Castillo, our Cameron County Health Authority, joining us. Dr. Castillo, Tim Sullivan here. Uh, I'm guessing you,
3: you know, shouldn't wait till you feel thirsty to drink water, can probably keep a bottle with you at, at all times.
2: Exactly it's staying ahead of it, not letting you yourself get dehydrated, but if you start feeling those early symptoms, uh, like just excessive sweating, you're starting to feel weak or tired, you're getting cramps, uh, then you're not you're not keeping up. you need to get into the shade and start hydrating before things get out of control.
3: Are there any certain foods you know that are best for this type of heat?
2: Um, You know, foods probably that have uh, lots of water and electrolytes in them. You could think lots of fruits, uh, watermelons. Yeah,
3: that's what I was thinking, watermelon, yeah. So if you're working outside, uh, you're relatively healthy, but you have to work outside, construction workers, uh, transportation crews. What are the very first signs that one might be starting to become overwhelmed?
2: Um, It's that faintness, dizziness. Uh, just the cramps if you're starting to get muscle cramps nausea uh, you're sweating excessively you're definitely going to want to be protecting yourself from the sun's rays also so light colored uh, clothing that is airy that covers all your skin a hat you know definitely a shade for your head Uh, but if after all of that you're still getting real uh, lots of nausea, feeling weak, faint, not do not ignore those signs. You need to get out of the heat and start hydrating.
1: Dr. James Castillo, is our Cameron County Health Authority also Medical Director at DHR Health we're talking about all this heat and how your body might get in trouble real quick with 110-degree-plus temperatures on a daily basis for the next several days here in South Texas. You guys be careful out there. Yeah, and, real quick. It can yeah, happen fast, right? Yeah, and Dr. James just mentioned some of the symptoms. Now, have you seen there at DHR Health, Brownsville, any folks came in this weekend that got in trouble with the heat?
2: Not hearing about it yet. I know that it's, it's really going to start getting uh, even much hotter this week. So thanks so much for, you know, highlighting that for everybody. Yeah um, but the other thing that he you know these kind of symptoms can go on to is what will put you into the hospital, which is something called heat stroke. Uh, and that's where your body just finally loses it and it cannot uh, cool itself anymore. Oh my so God, you even stop sweating, your skin gets red hot, dry skin, you know, so you're burning hot temperature over hundred, you know, like your body temperature goes up over 103. So yeah. temperature of 104, uh, headache, confusion, at that point, now you're gonna get put into the hospital because now we need to you know, cool you down uh, and get you hydrated with IV fluids.
1: I spoke with a Christian camp counselor, I uh, ran into a person a couple of days back, was explaining to me that people came down here from you know, up in Dallas, um, other parts of the state, they came down here for, for a camp, a retreat, and f- uh, about a handful of the kids got in trouble uh, they were exposed, and they have to cool them down real quick. So, how you encounter somebody, and I'm sure you might. Some of y'all might bump into somebody that gets in trouble. And as Dr. James said, super red, cannot cool down, stops sweating. What do you do? How do you cool that person down? Uh, what's the best way to, to do it real quick?
2: Uh, get them, get them into air conditioned place. Um, if if it's a healthy person, otherwise healthy person, you could put ice packs on the armpits, groin back. Uh, you, you want to avoid that with, you know, too young or too old. Uh, for anybody else, you basically douse them in cool water. You want to get that evaporation, you want to get that heat out of their body uh, in a safe, as quick as way as possible. So get them out of the sun, get them into shade, get them into cool environments. If you've got ice packs for the groin, for the armpits, back, mm. or just water, just covering the person in water, because they, they've run out of sweat, basically. Uh, And you need to get that. That water is just going to try to bring the heat off the body through the skin.
1: I recall the counselor told me that they put uh, ice and cold uh, towels full of ice around their neck. That kind of made sense to me. I figured all the blood going up to the brain back and forth, try to cool that down as quickly as possible.
2: Yeah, just go after the radiators, basically. Your body's got, you know, all these blood vessels, near the skin, you know, big blood vessels. If you can get the uh, cooling there, that'll help cool down the core body temperature. You're trying to protect the organs, like the brain, the kidneys, the muscles. When the temperature's that high, those, all those organs can start getting damaged.
1: Ten four. right, Doc. Uh, final thought from you, something we missed that we need to tell folks about, all this heat and, and your body.
2: Uh, really, prevention. And don't forget not to leave kids in the car. Uh, Don't, you know, the cars uh, not to be done, even with the windows open or anything like that. Don't don't uh, forget any kids in the car in temperatures like this.
4: Thank you, Dr.
1: James. Dr. James Castile from DHR Health in Browseville, also our Cameron County Health Authority.
0: KURV. You're listening to the best of the
1: Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710-K-U-R-V and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear, audio, and access to previous programs from 710-K-U-R-V only at Radio Para Mi. Download it, It's free. Director of our Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. We welcome back Ed Campinano. Chief, thanks for joining us again. I understand you're celebrating a new 118-acre business park. Tell me about that.
4: We have scheduled for Thursday a, a, a groundbreaking, if you will, for a, a business park uh, that will be located inside the port. And Obviously, the goal is to have a facility that would be ready, uh, move-in ready for uh, those businesses that are looking for the logistics platform and the advantages of being inside the port uh, will offer them. Obviously, it will provide them um, uh, an area for their operations, but more importantly, it gives them access to all of the uh, uh, logistical assets of the port, uh, whether they will be moving commodities by truck, or whether they need access to rail or whether they need access to water, uh, both uh, uh, brown water, which would be essentially a shallow draft or, or deep uh, ocean-going vessels. So, We're trying to leverage, you know, those capabilities to offer businesses uh, more opportunities to be uh, closer to those assets than being in the perimeter of the port or outside the port.
1: Some of these folks support services for the pending revolution and liquefied natural gas going Uh, through the area, steel operations, things like that?
4: Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the things that we are getting a lot of interest in is obviously uh, looking for uh, a site that would be able to provide uh, those um, suppliers, uh, those individuals that will be uh, providing services to uh, some of the new plan development projects, uh, an opportunity to be located within proximity to the area. Uh, You know, there's going to be a lot of... A lot of things that are going to be needed, and some of those will be coming in by water uh, there'll be others that will be looking to possibly bring it in by train and of course you know truck is critical to the operations of the port so this would offer those businesses the capabilities of being able to use any one of those uh, logistical uh, capabilities sure. and be able to be a significant player in in that industry
1: this new business park that you're celebrating one hundred and eighteen acres uh, providing all the space for support services and hopefully new industry coming to the area so it's fully as far as logistics it's fully functional right it's got all the pipes water and sewer well, it, lights all that yeah
4: it, it'll be a groundbreaking absolutely it will have uh, all of the full services uh necessary to uh essentially uh uh you know start whether it's warehousing or 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 baby manufacturing or assembly but nonetheless yes this will offer all the services it will offer, uh, you know, all of the utility services, access to internet services, um, access to rail services, access to water services. So yes, this would be a uh, fully finished uh, uh, facility uh, that uh, uh, will provide, you know, those individuals that are looking for uh, the need uh, for those services uh, to be located uh, inside the port.
1: Tell me about the increase in traffic as- as far as tonnage, I understand that the numbers keep increasing, impressively, um, double digits. In fact, I think I saw one report in your newsletter: thirty percent increase back from twenty twenty. Twenty twenty was a very busy year, despite COVID. You guys were firing on all cylinders out there. So, tell me about the tonnage that you see right now at the port.
4: Well, we we continue to see an increase in tonnage. That metric that you refer to was one that was reported by the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, um, they measure waterborne commerce for the 150 ports inside uh, around the united states and uh, uh, the port of brownsville made a significant leap uh, from 2020 to 2021 with approximately 30 percent increase in waterborne cargo uh, so we leaped 11 spots uh, from from Uh, essentially number 66 in the nation in the middle of the pack above middle to number 55 and of course the goal is to get into that realm of 50 and above simply because um, you know the those ports uh, You know, the maintenance of the ports is one of the critical functions of the Corps of Engineers, and and you want to be certainly considered um, an important port. Not that all ports are not important, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a big difference between number one and number 10 and number 10 and number 20 and what have you. But once you break that threshold into the 10 million tons of waterborne cargo in that top 50, you pretty much are assured that maintenance funding is going to be available, and so you're not going to have to be... kind of waiting for the leftovers to see what's available for maintenance funding. So we're 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 um, that's a big step for us. Yeah,
1: and in, in that report it was wind energy components, all the blades and the engines, steel that keeps growing exponentially and, and will soon uh, likely grow even more with that uh, Mexican outfit setting up shop there across the street from Keppel Antuls. Uh, petroleum products as well. We're not even we're barely scratching the surface with LNG showing up uh, in the next few years, uh, fully operational. Boy, that, that's going to likely yeah, catapult yeah. us several more ra- several more standings in, well, in the rankings, right?
4: If, if you look how we're positioned, say for the next five years, you know, keep in mind that we're also working on a large project for our number one customer, uh, Turnium, on the steel side. Uh, Where they're looking to, they're going to be adding another electric arc furnace to their facility in Monterrey, their state of the art facility. So that means that we're going to see an increase in throughput as a result of that as well. We're also working with them on developing a marine terminal uh, that would result in the import of the ore that is necessary uh, for that steel production. So you couple approximately 3.3 million tons of that project, the incremental growth in our steel to 7 or 8 million, and then you look at the LNG just next decade alone with their production capability. Uh, If they build it out to Full capability is going to be 27 million tons. So you can see where we have an opportunity over the next uh, few years, five to seven years, where we can go from, you know, 10 million tons a year uh, to into the, uh, uh, you know, 40 million tons a year. And, and that, that will catapult us significantly up that number of 50 ports and above. So I, I can see us being in the 20s. Uh, in the near future, uh, again, looking at that five to seven years. And, and then, of course, the growth that you get from the other uh, commodities. You know, we continue to see growth in the hydrocarbons, you know, the gasoline, the ste- the diesel movement, jet fuel. Uh, we continue to see growth in our other businesses. Our, you know, our steel recyclers are growing. You know, Keppel is growing. So, yeah, we're in a good position Excellent. to... Uh, really make a significant run in the next few years uh, here at the Port of Brownsville. Oh,
2: good. It's
1: good to hear that the prospect for growth at the port as as hot as the uh, South Texas weather these days. It seems it's, it's white hot. All right, chief. Anything else you want to mention before I let you go on this one, this
5: report?
4: Well, again, I would uh, you know anybody that's interested in attending, uh, you know, please. Uh, uh, we will be doing it Thursday at ten o'clock at the port, and we're. Uh, looking forward to kicking off this project and it's a commission initiated project so you know they they deserve a lot of credit for this and so we're going to be uh, working uh, beginning this year to develop that facility.
1: Thank you Chief. Be safe and continued success. That's Ed Campidano Director of Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville.
0: KURV.com You're listening to the best of the
1: Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. This is NewsTalk 710 KURV, this radio station exclusive play-by-play home for Houston Astros baseball. Thank you to our many supporters including FNT Valley Motorsports and Riverside Development Services and also Hess Air. Welcome back, Dr. Guy Bailey, president of our university, UTRGV, and I checked in with him because I noticed a press release heads up on final accreditation for our medical school. Let's start there, Dr. B.
5: You know, accreditation for a medical school is a three-stage process. It, it takes place over a period of uh, a number of years, and so we've got the final, uh, <clears throat> the final stage of that accreditation now from the beginning when they give you your initial accreditation all of your students graduate from an approved medical school the big the big uh advantage of what we have now is that we can begin to expand the enrollment of the medical school and so until we get this okay. final state we're limited to 55 students uh in each class and what this uh, does is it gives us the ability to begin expanding our medical classes and so that's this is which was fully expected and everything and uh, so we're very pleased with this but the the real advantage here is it gives us the opportunity to expand our medical classes.
1: that's terrific so what's the plan what's the goal how big
5: would we <laughs> like to be well yeah you you know you got a we, eventually we'd probably double the size. We'll increase by about 10%. Remember, we, we take Fish 5 students a year, and so we can, we can expand by about 10% a year. Uh, we may ask for, a, in a year or so, permission to expand uh, more than to that 10% a year. But uh, eventually we'd like to be at about 100 students uh, a class.
1: Dr. Guy Bailey, president of UTRGV, joining us on KURV. Dr. Bailey, Tim
3: Sullivan here. The medical school's been in place for a number of years now. Just wondering, does the right, accreditation right. process normally take this long a period of time?
5: It varies. You have to have at least one medical class at graduating. And so for most schools, it takes two or three classes before you're fully accredited. So we're pretty much uh, on schedule. There, there have been schools that have done it faster. Most schools are about where we are. What's
3: the final item that they're looking at? What's the the final matter that, that, well, that needs to you know right, right. for the, to finalize the the deal?
5: There, there's not a single criteria, and there are whole set of things they look at, and it has to do with. Uh, uh, you know, the performances of your medical classes, uh, and it has to do with surveys that the students take about, uh, uh, and so they're just a range of things. And what they do, they'll come in and visit, and they'll make recommendations for for uh, uh, improvement, and then uh, you make those, and they come back and visit, and there are usually, usually several iterations of that.
1: Dr. Guy Bailey, President UT-RHV, joining us uh, at the moment. Uh, we're talking about the final accreditation for our medical school, but in other disciplines and other sciences, with the valley economy expanding the way it is at the port and all this trade and aerospace and just wonderful opportunities that are down the road. Where do we go from here, Dr. Bailey, on the engineering sciences, uh, yeah, the the, business the, school, the or, or what?
5: That. Yeah. We we have two new PhDs that will be starting uh, one in materials science, uh, materials engineering, which is really a uh, a branch of engineering there, and we, with a great deal of input from science. But if you think about it, uh, materials and the development of new materials are a key to uh, uh, to economic growth, especially in things like outer outer space. We also have a com- a computer science phd that will be coming online we've had a doctoral program in human genetics that's about a year old one in physics so where we really grow also uh, there are two ways at the doctoral level with those kinds of science and engineering phds which give us a really uh, highly qualified workforce in the valley and, and you need those things to attract some of the high-tech industry and that's Of course uh, austin's a great example of that they have such a well-trained workforce there and so uh, the other is in additional medical areas we have a uh, a physical therapy site visit we're we're implementing a doctorate in physical therapy and so there are other school uh, other areas of uh, health related areas that we expand as well physical therapy is a great example so we, within two years we should have the physical therapy program remember we have our school of podiatric medicine and mm-hmm. i'm delighted to say that we got startup funding for that from the legislature we'd already begun this school but uh but we were at kind of an off cycle with the legislature so the legislature picked up and funded this the startup there for the school of uh, podiatry and uh and so those are all areas where we expand in, a, in our professional programs and uh, then in our, uh, especially our doctoral programs in science and engineering. And in doing that, uh, we really provide a well-trained workforce that will help attract industry here.
1: And for Dr. Guy Bailey, President, UTRGV, our guest, now that you bring up the legislative session, other brick-and-mortar projects or any other programs funded by the legislature that you want to share?
5: Well, we, we had a good uh, session overall. The legislature did not fund uh, capital projects per se. They were, there were a few things funded. Uh, our primary request was for the startup funding for the School of Podiatric Medicine. We had that for the medical school, and uh, in a professional school like that is very expensive to start. And so... You you uh, don't have adequate funding through the state's funding formula until you have a, a, a completely full class and you've got your clinical practice at work, and so the startup funding is crucial. There, uh, they they funded inflation, some inflationary, there was inflationary funding. So it was a good session uh, overall, I think, for higher education. Two years
1: from now, we should be hearing some news on. Camps and training for the Vaqueto football team—all those things. Anything you want to share related to that well, developing program?
5: Our coaches out recruiting right now, and uh, it's interesting. They, they, of course, they recruit across the nation, but especially in Texas. But they, before they went anywhere, they visited every high school in the Rio Grande Valley, and so w- you know we'll try to get the best players from around the state. But we want to make absolutely sure that the best players in the real grande valley do not escape that mm-hmm. <laughs> we we have them right here and so we, we're we're busy recruiting right now and uh, uh we'll begin uh, That's uh, right. uh you know we have the uh the practice fields all of the the performance uh, center all of that is under construction right now so uh, if you were to go out on our uh, north of our the baseball stadium on our campus yeah. you see the work beginning on that
1: Thank you, Dr. B. As always, a pleasure. Continued success, Dr. Guy Bailey, President UTRGV. Thanks so much. Hey,
0: as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio.
1: Download the free app for 710K URV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear, audio, and access to previous programs from 710K URV Only at Radio Para Download it. It's free. One of our top leaders in South Texas, an expert in economic development issues, man knows all the ins and outs of the Rio Grande Valley economy, Alex Mead has been appointed by Governor Greg Abbott to a top spot when it comes to decision-making on transportation issues for the state of Texas and for us, I would hope. Alex, welcome to the program. So please define, please explain to working people this appointment by the governor. How big of a deal is that for South Texas?
7: Well, thank you, uh, Sergio, and good morning um so it's a pretty big deal you know the last time we had somebody on the department of transportation or the texas transportation commission was in 1993 it was a ruben cardenas he served a a short term of a little bit less than a year and he was appointed by governor Ann richards prior to that was 1958 Um, so it's been a long time that we've had somebody from the Grande valley on the texas transportation commission and the reason why it's important sergio is it allows us to have a seat at the table as as funds are being distributed throughout the state of Texas for, for, for transportation. And as you know, uh without proper without proper transportation uh infrastructure, um it makes it hard to, to grow a community, grow a region, um, you know, and it's it's hard for economic development. In fact I, I consider Texas uh one of the um you know largest economic development entities uh, or most important economic development entities in the state of Texas.
1: Knowing the Rio Grand Valley from your uh, eagle's perch, uh, again, economic development expertise, and, of course, in business banking all these years, and now sitting up in Austin with the Transportation Commission, what would you say are the top three projects that if you could just get a wand and say, ding, that's it, let's take care of this, what would you take care of here in South Texas?
7: well in South Texas I would definitely um, you know promote the connectivity to i69 you know from both from both um, you know the east side and the west side right getting getting uh, improving the i-69 connection straight shot is, you mean right straight uh, shot yeah. on
1: 281 and 77 is that
7: we're talking about that, that's correct okay. right and so so you know we need to, we need to improve you know I, 281 and, 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 and 77 although although they are i-69 you know, designated roads right now, they're not fully completed. There are certain gaps um, in the system, in the actual road system, that, that are not up to inter- interstate standards yet. So trying to get those things in place, trying to get roads like 1925 or um, or other roads on the, on the west side of, 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 you know, of the Hidalgo County to 281, um, or, yeah, to 281, you know uh, allows the valley to kind of have this loop that that allows us to connect throughout the throughout the region and as you know if you go to houston right you've got all these loops now that allow the the, the regions to grow and and they all connect to interstates and so i, w- I would say that's a you know very important you know c- get connecting Guadalupe county to to cameron county not just through 83 or, or i2 now but but connecting 1925 all the way to all the way to uh, to Cameron County and even all the way to South Padre with a uh, with a second causeway, mm-hmm. I would consider very important for the region.
1: Alex Meade from the Rio Grande Valley yes. is now a member of the Texas Transportation Commission. Our guest, Alex uh, Tim Sullivan here. To be real specific, yep. um,
3: Alex, what does your presence on the Texas Transportation Commission mean? For the valley, in terms of funding necessary local highway projects.
7: Well, you know, let me let me say, uh, Tim, um, it's it's interesting, you know, now that I'm on I'm on the commission, um, how much the valley just comes up in conversation, um, and you know, you have projects like the IBTC there in the City of Farr, yeah. The You know, that's a very important project for the region that allows the movement of trucks from far um, on, you know, out of 281 or Cage Boulevard, getting it out of the, the, the core of the city and moving it out to allow for, for again, quicker mobility to, um, you know, to, to I-69. I, I, I mean, um, and, and so so when you have projects like that, right, um, that, that may, maybe not many folks are aware of in Austin, um, having somebody from the region uh, talk about those, and of course, in the case of in, in the example for the city farm, you know, I get to speak firsthand. I mean, I was city manager of Far, I know that project very well, yeah. and I can I can defend it. Um, but but not only that, Tim, just things along the border. I mean, you gotta you gotta remember that my position is a statewide position. It just so happens that I'm from the rural Grand Valley. Uh, just like we've got people from San Antonio, we've got people from the rural community up in San Angelo. Uh, Houston Dallas and so so being able to 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 talk to the other folks about the importance of, of just the the border economy and how it affects every one of the regions that they represent indeed and how working together it makes the state more competitive because at the end of the day that's what we're doing right we want the state to be more competitive we want the state to continue being the number one state in recruiting businesses and And I can tell you, I've been that community that tries to recruit the company, and it has the land, it's got the rail, but it doesn't have the interstate standard or the proper highway infrastructure, and we lose.
3: Well, as you say, we have a a bigger seat at the table now with your uh, participation in the uh, Texas Transportation Commission. We got that as well with the unified MPO. Uh, so, how closely do you plan to work with the the new unified MPO on either drawing up a priority list of highway projects or deciding which projects to fund first? I'm going to guess that there's going to be a lot of conversation between you guys.
7: Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, coincidentally, tomorrow is my first meeting um, that that I'll be having uh, as a, a Texas Transportation Commissioner um, with. Um, basically all the mayors and and all the, the elected officials. It's a two day deal. Um, I'll be spending it tomorrow visiting with, with the the heads over here at tech side of the far district, Pete Alvarez and his team. Um, Then from there, I'll have a, I'll have a a meeting with with a lot of the city managers and mayors and county officials. Um, And then, um, you know, we'll spend that throughout the day. And then on Friday, I'll spend uh, touring some projects and meeting with state elected officials like Chuy Guerra, Terry Canales, and and and, their, and you know Sergio, Munoz, Set Bobby Garrett, all those guys, and meeting with those. and And I'll tell you what the it's not so much about about having them tell me um, or 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 help me pick. I, I've learned to realize, I've learned to to recognize that strong projects rise to the top. Hmm. Right. I mean, you may have a mayor that that um, that, you know, is more outspoken. You may have a mayor that, you know, they can get the support, but the project itself will rise to the top. And 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 you'll see it. I mean, you can really notice the projects like the I-69 connector, like the IBTC. I mean, you know, those are projects that that it's really hard to to argue against how important they are because it just benefits the the, the region. And at the end of the day. You know this position um you know we're, we're focused on, on 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 growing regions growing you know metropolitan areas uh, because again it makes the it makes the area more competitive
1: alex meade is the new member of the texas transportation commission appointed by the governor how long is your appointment alex
7: so i'm 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 filling a uh, uh an unfinished term uh so i've got a two-year a two-year term um with, with, a, with hopes, obviously, that I'll get a reappointed for a full six-year term. And and so what I'm doing, Sergio, is this first year, there's 25 districts in the state of Texas. There's 25 transportation districts in the state of Texas. In my first year, uh, I've decided to go visit all 25 of them. Um, so it's a, it's a lofty goal. Not many of the commissioners have done that. In fact, I don't think any have done that yet. Some have gone as far as 20 districts. In the six-year term that they've been there, um, I'm going to try to do that in a year, and and I figure that <clears throat> that I'm I'm treating this as if I'm not going to get reappointed, and so I want to <laughs> like, hurry I want to, <laughs> <I> con- <laughs> yeah. So I want to contribute right uh-huh. something to Texas in case I don't get reappointed, and something to the valley. Understand. And the only way I can do that is if if I see all 25 districts my first year, then at least the second year. I can be somewhat more effective. Um, and, um, you know, and if, if I get reappointed, great. I'll have more knowledge. If I don't get, well, then at least I contribute a little bit.
1: Continued success, Alex. We wish you the best. That's uh, Alex Mead. He's one of our five members of the Texas Transportation Commission. Thanks, Alex.
0: you're listening to the best of the valley's morning news here's sergio
1: City McAllen getting a new fire station. Our fire chief, Juan Gloria, in the studio again with us. Good to see you again, Chief. Good morning. Uh, Tim was laughing. Man, it's probably really hot out there (laughs) we're (laughs) celebrating. It's getting there. (laughs) Moving moving dirt for this thing. So it's at Tres Lagos, right? The new station? That is correct, sir. All right. So how big is it? And you're going to need to hire more fire people to go work work out there?
6: Well, as far as how big, and we're talking about a facility that is going to be just over 10,500 square feet is gonna have all the amenities that are um, uh, necessary for our firefighters to be there 24-7, literally living there at that facility, serving our community. And so as far as the staffing, uh, it is very important to mention the, uh, the vision of our uh, uh, elected officials, not just current, but previous, because it has been about seven uh, years, give and take, since we started actually adding the staffing, adding the personnel, uh, buying the equipment, getting the apparatus, getting everything ready when the fire station is good to go, and so we just broke ground. You know, we're we're hoping that uh, that towards the middle, if not, you know, late 2024, we'll have that station opened up and serve. You know, service in our community, and all the staff and equipment is ready to go.
1: And the information the city provided, they said it's, uh, it's been 14 years. Yeah, that is. It's been 14 station, right.
6: years since the last time we added a fire station. Fire Station Seven was opened up back in 2007, yeah. and uh, we have relocated or we have. Uh, tear down and rebuilt on-site fire stations, which that's that's also very important to mention because that's that's a tremendous you know uh, expense also for the city. But as far as adding a new fire station, you know, expanding our footprint within our community, it's been 14 years. Where
1: were you 14 years ago?
6: Who, me? Yeah. Oh, 14 years ago? I, I was actually a lieutenant on, on Fire Engine 7, which uh, I happened to be
1: present at the uh, at the ribbon-cutting of the oh, for fire that station. One, yeah. Uh, Chief, wang Gloria joining us in the studio.
3: Yeah, Chief, you also, uh, also mentioned this is the first fire station to have separate dorms and restrooms for women firefighters. It's uh, Quite a leap. Uh, yeah. So,
6: so um, uh, actually, one uh, one thing that not a lot of people know, uh, uh, the McAllen Fire Department had a female firefighter back in the '80s, uh, and then uh, for whatever reason, I mean, it's been it's been decades. You know, we currently have a female firefighter on our on our department, which we're very proud of it. One. We're, we're, yes, one. Yeah, and, uh, and we're very proud of her. Uh, she's, she's a tremendous, a tremendous individual. And so this facility, of course, you know, the fire Service has evolved through the years. And it is very important that we evolve with those new trends and those new requirements, you know, just on health and safety. But in this case, making sure that we are providing and facilitating for, for diversification in our department. And so this, this station is going to help us provide that.
3: So are other existing stations having to be remodeled then to accommodate what will likely be more? Not so. Not department. so
6: much remodel, but uh, uh, thankfully, you know, some of, some of the other stations that we have actually teared down and rebuilt on site. Uh, those stations are going to with with slide with slide um, uh, a tweaking of our daily operation. Mm-hmm. You know, we you know we're able to provide anything and everything that is needed for the di- diversification of our department, and so we're not too concerned of that. But as far as this station being you know built from scratch, it gives us the opportunity to basically have it all done by design.
3: So, fire station number eight, uh, you said about seven, eight years in the planning. Is planning underway now for fire station number nine, mm. many years down well, the road? Well, a-
6: actually there is conversations, you know, we've had conversations with our um, uh, with city management and, and uh, elected officials about, you know, the need to uh, also eventually here in the, in the near future, within the next handful of years, hopefully, uh, we need to do some relocation of fire station four on the south side by the airport. And uh, there are a couple of other locations within the city in which we are already looking for where it is that we're going to need to have a presence within our community. And, and the main goal, the main objective is to make sure that we are as close as possible to every nick and cranny of our, of our community so that our response times can be you know, effective. Where might that be? Uh, we're looking at the south uh, west side of McAllen towards the Cold Ware Road area. Uh, we're also looking towards uh, north uh, east McAllen, you know, North 10th Street, um, uh, you know, past. Has um, uh, you know Trenton, pass has mm. that area over there? Th- yeah, th- those getting are, closer to Monte Cristo. It, yeah, th- that, that is correct. And, yeah. and so some of the yeah. things to consider, of course, is also the irrigation system in our in our cities and the canals and so on that that prevents fire trucks from just going straight across from one way to another. And so there are certain uh, specific dynamics that we need to take into account when responding, and uh, all of that is is being taken into consideration.
1: McAllen Fire Chief Juan Gloria. Now our permanent chief, right? That is correct. You got sir. the gig. That's what right. well, I forgot to mention. That that is good. That once thing. again, last time, last time we spoke, you were the interim chief. Now yes. you're, you're the real deal. Yeah. That is so, correct. Sir. So in 14 years, now that we celebrate this new uh, fire um, station in North McAllen, uh, te- technology or equipment, how's it? How has it changed in, in 14 years? Oh, it,
6: it has definitely changed. And I mean, right right now, uh, actually, here within the next couple of weeks, we have uh, some of our personnel that will be going to uh, uh, to Houston to uh, do the final inspection on uh, Fire Engine 8. You know that it that has already been um, uh, purchased and paid for and is is pretty much completed. Uh, they're in the process of mounting equipment on it, and so hopefully here towards the uh, the very end of July we should be having that that brand new truck rolling in. You know, Engine Eight it's already active. We we have the personnel active responding at of fire station seven. They are already covering the north side, but from fire station seven and um, uh, they are on a reserve apparatus right now. But the brand new equipment, the brand new truck, it, it should be here by the end of July, and so uh... that truck of course comes with all the new technology and all the amenities necessary to respond safety features airbags, you know, rollover protection, uh, as far as equipment on the truck, brand new, you know, airbags, you know, brand new uh, thermal cameras for our firefighters to be able to see through the smoke. You know, it's just, you know, technology evolves. You know, your hand tools, that stuff doesn't change, you know, a hammer is a hammer, an axe is an axe, but there is always, there's always new technology being implemented into fire apparatus, you know, additional the pieces of equipment that our firefighters carry with them. And of course, the bunker gear. The material that a bunker gear is being made of continues to, to to evolve as the years go by and so to the naked eye is just a firefighter wearing a fire jacket once again same as you know 14 years ago but the fabrics the materials the requirements for the safety of our firefighters have been evolving as well and so the equipment that we buy nowadays is compliant it's almost with that. like an
1: astronaut suit the only thing missing is telemetry on your heartbeat and oxygen level well the, I'll tell you what all
6: that's all of that stuff it's in the horizon for the fire <laughs> yeah, service
1: that's uh, our chief uh, fire department Juan Gloria in studio Fire code updates, fire inspection, is that... Under your department, we, that is correct. McAllen's growing so fast. That we is correct. Homes and business, and we gotta need to get out there to make sure get their permits approved and everybody moving correct. forward. So uh, you probably need more staff for that as well.
6: Well, you know, we, we can always need more staff. You know, what's what's important is that we're being efficient or as efficient as we can be with the staff that we have right now to provide services to our community. And you're correct. Development in our city is tremendous. You know, our community keeps on growing and and uh, not just existing. Uh, uh, buildings that that uh, continue to change occupancy, but just adding from subdivisions to new businesses, and so uh, it is very important to mention that it's not just the fire department, but it's the entire development team within the city of McAllen, our building zoning code enforcement, and of course fire department. You know, at one point in time, we all have to come together to make sure that we provide the services that that you know our our uh, customers need to be able to develop here in our city, and we want them to come over to McAllen, and uh, of course we're always there ready to, to yeah. guide them through the process. Yeah, it's, I,
1: sometimes it's a difficult process. I got to go here. I think it's Edinburgh. Freddie, is it Edinburgh that has like kids in high school get fire training? Uh, they have all sorts of training in Edinburgh. We got high schools down here that are training kids That is correct. Or a preliminary training. That is correct. Uh, to join the fire department. Uh, academies. H- how do you put together your academies to train them to get them in the pipeline for McAllen?
6: That's correct. So as far as McAllen's, uh, our unique situation is we have our own fire academy. And so as a matter of fact, we should be starting one here coming up in September. Uh-huh. Uh, and, um, you know, every time we add up vacancies, we go through the hiring process. We're a civil service department. So there is a testing process that, that individuals, candidates have to go through. And we'll add them up to our own fire academy. They will be already in how long is that,
1: that, that uh, academy?
6: It is tentatively about 10 months long right now right. because we certify them as firefighters, as emergency med- medical technicians, cool. and as driver operators uh, uh, through the Texas Commission on
1: Fire Protection. Well, if you have more uh, young women moving through that and get, and get more Definitely. women coming. I got a solution. You know how they have the auto flush? Yes, sir. When you get up at the toilet? Uh-huh. Like have a little lever, but then <laughs> lower the, the toilet seat. There you go. After, oh. after the dudes are done. they go. Oh, man. Yeah, you don't have to retrofit <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm funny. sorry, Tim. Tim <laughs> shaking his head. Uh, we got, you don't have to retrofit the whole you know, men, women, bathroom. Just low the seat. No, we're just we're need to, we just need to be disciplined to okay. be uh, considerate. So. Uh, Continued su- success, Chief. Thank you. Thank you so much. For stopping by. It's good to see you again. Thank Our you. Fire Department Chief, McAllen Juan Claudia. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710K URV discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV.
0: As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Radioparami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing.